Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to The Future of Work, a PropGPod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the PropGPod wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody, and welcome to episode 225 of the Talking Chop Podcast. I am your host, Brad Roland. It is Sunday evening, our normal time slot, and joining me as often, hello, Scott Coleman. Hello, Mr. Brad Roland. Good to be on. Uh, less than two weeks, fingers crossed, less than two weeks until opening day 2.0. So let's hope this time in two weeks, you and I have some real baseball games to talk about, and we're not having to shift gears for the 8 millionth time this year. That would be nice. Yeah, it's uh, as we're recording this, it's July 12th. Braves are going to open in 12 days. At least they're scheduled to open in 12 days. And uh, obviously everything is viewed through that prism at this moment in time. But there was a decent amount of news this week. So uh, I know we did two shows per week the last two weeks with some emergency level episodes. Nothing crazy emergency level since the last time we did a podcast. But uh, there is one piece of news that I think got the most cover. So we'll start there. And that's Cole Hamels. Um, earlier in the week, even by midweek, uh, the beat writers were already kind of hedging on Hamels. The, the noise was not exactly great. He had not thrown anything except for bullpens along the way. And then he was supposed to throw a side session on Saturday. And that got scrapped because of what the team is calling triceps tendonitis. Um, from there, that sets off all kinds of alarm bells because, of course, Hamels got hurt early on in spring and was going to be delayed. And then, uh, optimistically, we thought that maybe this delay would have helped him get back and be a factor. But now Brian Snicker is saying, I'm going to quote him here, I think we're probably a week away from seeing where he's going to be, end quote. Um, that's not the greatest soundbite in the world from your manager. And then Hamels, uh, I guess if you want to be as positive as possible, Hamels said that it was nor- as normal, quote, nagging type sortness, soreness, end quote, from spring training. But it's hard to, for me anyway, to take that at face value right now when the season opener is, like, like we both said, less than two weeks away. He did throw a 35-pitch bullpen back on the first day of summer camp in the, in early July. But other than that, it's not great. The shoulder, I guess, feels fine, but now there's something different. And, uh, you know, this is still an older guy who has uh, basically had all kinds of health hiccups so far. So I say all that to say, what's your uh, level of worry about Cole Hamels right now? Yeah, you know, if, if it really is, I mean, again, he's been a big league pitcher for 10, 12, 15 years now. So I think he probably knows that if it really is just kind of the normal soreness, that's one thing. But you're talking about a guy who's 36, missed a lot of time last year. And as you said, most people expected him to miss the first two, maybe even three uh, months of the of the season because of that shoulder issue. Maybe I, I would be a little more concerned if the shoulder was still giving him issues. And at least he says that it's not. If it is just some, some soreness, I'm sure all the guys, again, this is all these guys have routines and have had routines for many years. And, and this year has been just such a whirlwind and, and a different, uh, unlike any other year. So, um, it's not ideal. You and I and everyone know how important 
Hamels is going to be for this team, especially in a shortened season when I think a premium is going to be placed on teams with depth of their pitching staffs. And as we've seen, um, while he has had some injuries the last couple of years, whenever he is healthy, uh, Hamels has generally been really strong. And that's the reason why the Braves went out and signed him in the offseason uh, to the one-year deal. So not ideal. You, you wish uh, for a guy with his history, he'd be doing a little bit better. But um, I guess at this point, we just kind of have to take it at face value and hope that even if he does uh, need another week or so to let everything kind of calm down, uh, if not opening day, maybe the first week or two into the season, especially with those first couple starts being so shortened, um, you can hide it a little bit better because you're only expecting him, even if he was fully healthy and feeling good, to throw 50 or 60 pitches. Right, and I think at this point in time, just reading the tea leaves, I think people are expecting him to not make his first schedule start that you might imagine him making, and that's not the end of the world. Like you said, uh, there'll be some piggybacking, there'll be some more short leashes early on in the season for these guys as they're ramping it up, um, and that goes for that, that, that goes for guys who were healthy the whole time and had to ramp things up in sort of short order here, so... That's the bright side is that if everything checks out a week from now, like Snicker is potentially saying, uh, it might only be a short absence from Hamels. At the same time, this is now the second issue. I know they're kind of different issues, but still, given the age, and though I saw some people panicking because obviously he is a little bit older, Hamels has not had the perfect health in the last couple of years. Not, not nothing disastrous. That I think some people were overstating. At least that I saw there was a notion that Hamels is like this old brittle guy now, and I don't think that's backed up with the numbers um like for instance he's still never made less than 24 starts in a season uh last year made 27 starts year before that 32 starts uh, and the one time it was less than 25 was 2017 where he made 24 starts but even then like that's not a you know this is still a guy who was incredibly durable in his prime mm-hmm. yeah you, ex- you expect him to be a little bit less durable now and i think the Braves probably knew that when they signed him but this is not a guy who has like huge you know, Chuck are going to missing starts and like, you know, missing months at a time. This is someone who's been relatively durable, even in the recent past. So obviously yeah. the price tag is what scares people off a little bit. And I think that's kind of, we worried about this at the time. I remember both you and me and you and me and Eric talking about this in March or maybe even before that. Um, just the fact that people hear that $18 million number and they get a little bit um, weary as if that was putting putting some more pressure on Hamels. I, I don't really care about that. It's a one-year deal. It didn't really matter. And obviously he's making a lot less than that now. But it's a situation where I think people are overreacting a little bit in some circles. But at the same time, I understand some of the trepidation for a guy who is on the older side at 36. And because of a shortened season, every game matters. And if you miss if he misses a few starts that he could have been making and he's replaced by guys who aren't as good as he's supposed to be, that doesn't matter for the Braves. Well, and I I think we're seeing a little bit of a snowball effect, too, because let's be honest, the last week, I can't imagine any team in baseball having more blows to their their chances than the Braves have. Uh, It started with Freddie Freeman, Will Smith, Tuki Toussaint, the COVID thing, Um, Felix Hernandez opts out, Nick Marcakis opts out. Um, It hasn't been the cleanest of starts for the team, and and that was to be expected somewhat, but they have had, uh, really over the last seven to ten days, have had a handful of things that... I mean, I, I, I'm out here on the West Coast and usually the news breaks early morning and I every morning I look at my phone and open up Twitter and just kind of hope that there's nothing too bad on there. Uh, and I think because we have had some uh, some blows to the team over the last week, the Hamels thing, everybody was on pins and needles to begin with, hoping that he was going to be healthy. Um, whenever that happened, I think it was just heightened a little bit more because of the other various things the Braves are dealing with. That's a good point. And, you know, 
not that Felix was supposed to be great, but that was a guy who the Braves were at least projecting to be a factor in the rotation. So taking another arm out there, um, you know, you know, on the bright side, as we'll get into in a second, the Braves do still have the trio of Soroka, Freed, and Fultonavich that they're banking on. But it gets a little bit thin uh, in a hurry, which places uh, some emphasis on Hamels. You know, the projection systems that people often use, like, you know, Zips and Steamer, have Hamels projected as, like, a pretty solid but not spectacular pitcher, which is kind of what I think. Like, a maybe a low fours, maybe high threes ERA guy if he's healthy. Not a guy who's going to light the world on fire, but also someone who's going to give you innings and be good. I still think that he can do that. But, again, we're all kind of guessing. He has been pretty good, though, over the last three years. Like, this is a guy who's been a 2-3-1 or pitcher, and that's not incredible, but given the one-year commitment and all that stuff, I think Hamill still could be very valuable for this team. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, we're talking about some uncertainty that is less than ideal, and even I'll grant that as someone who I think is, at the moment, a Hamill's optimist. I'm with you. And again, it's entirely possible that this really is just kind of a wear and tear thing. He's a little bit older. Maybe he's just a little sore after really ramping it up uh, for the first time in a couple of months. But... Same time, I think the Braves, and you know, we're going to talk about the rotation here in a little bit, but I think the Braves are built better than most clubs because they have a, a pretty healthy dose of, of big league pitchers or close to big league ready pitchers they can throw out there. But as you said, they, they don't have an unlimited supply. And while you, you want Hamels to get out there, and if he misses the start or two, it's not the end of the world, I do think there's a significant difference of, of Hamels versus. Uh, you know, say a Bryce Wilson having to make a handful of starts or a Newcomb or a Wright or any of those guys, because as we know, Hamels is, is proven, has shown that when he's healthy and when he's going right, uh, he can be a really solid number two, number three pitcher. He was with the Cubs. He was with the Rangers before that, uh, especially after tra- uh, transitioning leagues. Um, and you just kind of have to hope that he's able to get some treatment and get back out there sooner rather than later. For sure. And uh, let's transition a little bit. Use this sort of as jumping off point. We're not going to do like a full-fledged preview because we did that back in March. And, you know, most of these guys, as much as the world has changed since then, uh, they have not necessarily changed. But as I mentioned before, you you have the trio of Soroka, Freed, and Fultonavich. Obviously, Soroka and Freed. uh, Soroka was awesome last year. Freed was uh, was good. Those guys were were supposed to be the number one and number two, kind of regardless of what happened. Uh, Fultonavich was not fantastic last year, but did flash things and uh, apparently has looked pretty good uh, in the early going of spring slash summer camp, whatever we're in right now, and a guy who's been a solid major league pitcher before. So those three guys, uh, you don't worry about too much. You can debate about you know how much better um, Soroka could possibly be from last year because he was so good. Maybe he's, maybe he's due for some regression, etc. But you feel pretty decent about those three guys, I think. But then beyond that, if Hamels is this question mark, you get into, it seems by all indications that Sean Newcomb is going to start. Uh, that seemed like the case two weeks ago, and it definitely seems like the case now without Felix and without and with Hamels battling stuff. Everyone that covers the team is basically writing Newcomb and Penn as the number four starter right now, at least to start the season uh, with Hamels being the, uh, the question mark there. But Newcomb seems to be pretty solidly ahead of the other options. Is that where you're reading? Mm-hmm. I mean, that's kind of, no one's saying it like that specifically, but in every time that I've seen Mark Bowman or Dave O'Brien or Gabe Burns, anybody talk about the rotation, it's kind of Newcomb's just in there and not really as a question mark. It's going to be Newcomb, I think. I think so too. And, and, you know, it's easy to forget. I I forgot just how, you know, in the first half of 2018, Sean Newcomb was really good. I mean, he was a really steady starting pitcher for the Braves. He, he cut his walks back a little bit. He wasn't striking people out quite as much, but he was a, 
very service. I mean, he almost had the the no hitter, the perfect game, whatever it was against the Dodgers. And and I realize he kind of wore down in his first full year, and he hasn't been quite as good in the rotation since then. But I think because he has the track record, and clearly he wants to start, um, I, I think he's he's at least earned the opportunity to go, especially if he's battling guys um, who who haven't done it before, at least consistently. I will say, you know, if if you're looking for a way for the Braves to take a step forward and win their third division if if that can even be counted for this year but win the third division in a row and I think if Mike Fultonevich can give the team what he was two years ago when he broke out in 2018 that would be huge and we saw that really in in once he came back about mid-August to the end of the year Fulty was really good I mean we we had the conversation on this podcast of should he be the game one starter in the NLDS last year because he had been their most dominant and most consistent pitcher uh, down the final six or eight weeks of the year. Again, you never really know what you're going to get. He's generally pretty good. Of course, he has had some bad blow-ups, some infamous blow-ups. But um, again, if, if Mike can have a really good year, or at least a good next two months, um, it would be huge for the Braves, um, especially if they don't know exactly what they're going to get from Hamels and, and a couple of the other things you hit on. Yeah, to back you up there, Fulte's ERA post-All-Star break last year was 2.65. Now, yeah. I wouldn't bank on that, but... He's done it. Um, you know, the full previous season, it was a sub three ERA. This is a guy who has the talent to be a pitcher that is a legitimate plus for you. You know, the, the projection systems are a little bit are a little bit cooler on Fulte. Um, I would probably lean more towards that. But even if you get him somewhere around the high threes ERA, that's that's still a guy who you are perfectly fine with as a number three starter with upside yeah. beyond that. So I, I totally agree. Um, it it's really kind of which Fulte are you getting because before the All Star break last year, his ERA was over six. Now, he's not that bad. I think we all kind of agree on that. But he was so bad early last year that, you know, it's it's kind of scary to have him just written in pen as a number three starter. But at the same time, mm-hmm. he is he is a talented guy. We, we've seen him do it before. So, But, yeah, you're right. I think he is a big swing piece and even more so now if Hamels misses time. Because um, Sorokin and Freed, you know, pitchers are volatile, but we know those guys are really talented. They're really young. And until we see otherwise, you can kind of bank on them to be pretty good. Um, mm-hmm. Fulte is a swing guy, and then Newcomb's another swing guy, where Newcomb's the same thing. Like you mentioned, he's had good flashes, um, but also last year was basically a reliever for, you know, 90% of the season. I think he made four starts last mm-hmm. year. Um, so. And he was good in that role, but it's just it's just a different world uh, as a starter. Hmm. Uh, even if you're a short a short inning starter, which he probably will be, I think. So yeah, I mean, if nothing else, we know what the top four is going to be. Hamels becomes five, um, and probably ahead of Newcomb if you were to order them in terms of if he's healthy. But in the meantime, they're going to need some depth, especially early on. The names that get mentioned are Josh Tomlin as the veteran, uh, low upside guy. Then you have Kyle Wright and Bryce Wilson. Tomlin's apparently going to pitch four innings on Monday in an inter-squad game. By the way, that's going to be apparently broadcast on Fox Sports Southeast for people that are local uh, on Monday night at 7 p.m. So check that out. Oh, uh, I've kind I didn't of been, know that. That's I've cool. kind of been weird. I've kind of been weirded out by the inter-squad uh, live streams <laughs> and, and the live but tweeting yeah. has been driving me crazy. Yeah. But, they um, look like ants. I, I find myself trying to figure out who the heck is each player from you know, 300 feet up in the year. Yeah. yeah. I don't, I don't blame the beat writers. I, I am much closer to a beat writer in a normal sense for the, for the Atlanta Hawks. And I think I probably would be doing similar level, uh, live tweeting, but it is kind of hilarious to uh, see a ton of tweets during these air squad things about like almost play by play. It's kind of funny, um, but that's going to be happening. Apparently uh, the Braves are also reportedly set to play six or seven inning scrimmages the next three days, I think. 
Um, but yeah, Tomlin's going to go on Monday. We'll see how he looks. Obviously, we know what Josh Tomlin is. He was pretty good in a long man role last year, but uh, you don't want Josh Tomlin starting if you can help it. He's not a disaster. He's a guy who doesn't walk anyone. You know what he is. He's a veteran, but not a high upside play. And then you get into Wilson and Wright. I think we're all hoping Wright is going to take a step forward. Um, I guess he threw his first live BP on Sunday. He's going to pitch one of the next three days. Um, Snicker apparently told the media today, I believe it was, on Sunday, that Wright's a little bit behind uh, because I guess he had a testing thing and a travel thing. But he apparently should be ready to start the season as a starter or at least a combo starter. So Wright is the one, at least for me, that we're all, you know, in my mind, I think we all should be hoping about Kyle Wright taking a step forward because Tomlin is boring and Bryce Wilson just isn't as talented, in my opinion, as Kyle Wright is. So I don't know. Those three guys seem to be the options. Tukey was apparently going to be in the mix for maybe even a piggy a piggyback spot, but obviously with the delay with COVID, I don't think he's going to be in the mix there. Maybe he will be in the bullpen eventually, but I think it's really a three-man race for that one spot. Yeah, you know, you talk about Josh Tomlin, somebody who, of course, was with the Indians before last year, and I'm, I'm looking at him now. In 2016, 2017, he made a combined 55 starts, so he is a guy who's done the quote-unquote starting thing before, and uh, he really was pretty valuable for the Braves as a mop-up duty guy, somebody who, you know, you can totally save a team if, if you can hand him the ball and, and throw four or five innings and save the bullpen and, and all that, but as you said, we know who he is. He's not going to strike you out. He's not going to walk you. You just kind of hope that they're going to hit the ball and it, and it finds a glove. Um, you know, Bryce Wilson is interesting because he's somebody who very clearly needs some secondary stuff. Um, he was working on it, or at least reportedly was working on it in the original spring training, and the results were not good. He was getting hit very hard. I think he was actually sent down to minor league camp uh, right before the COVID shutdown happened. Um, somebody who has flashed the ability to get big leaguers out because he has that big, heavy fastball that, um, you know, people say it's kind of like a bowling ball, but of course, you know, you can only throw so many fastballs to big league hitters before they, before they turn it around. So, um, I'm with you. I think Wright possesses, possesses the highest amount of upside, uh, for sure. He has, we, it was kind of overlooked last September during the playoff push, but, um, you know, Wright really had a good second half in, in, with Gwinnett and then made a couple of appearances out of the bullpen uh, with the Braves in September and really flashed an improved slider. He kind of has that fastball slider working that uh, Mike Poltenevich did when he had his breakout year in 2018. So I, I think you hope that Wright can put it all together. He's a guy who clearly looks the part. And, and if he is, I, I think it could be a big boost, especially if they're filling in for uh, a couple of starts as Hamels is getting caught up. Right. And I, I think Wilson can is capable of being a major league average starter right now in a small sample size i'm not saying that he's bad but last year it didn't go well uh in the majors it was very bad um and even in the minors it wasn't incredible like wilson had a i think an era in the low fours at triple a which isn't a disaster but not something that's gonna like blow you away he is still young um i believe he's 20 i don't know what was what was bryce wilson uh um, 22 and a half you well it's funny so i just looked it up you were reading my mind so I would have never have thought this, but Bryce Wilson is two years and three months younger than Kyle Wright. Just for yeah, college. I always forget how young uh, Wilson is because I think he was seventeen when they drafted him. I was going to say plus Wright was a college guy, so it's um, yeah. You, I think it's more for me that you forget how old Wright is. Not that he's ancient, but he's almost yeah. twenty five, um, sure. which isn't like as young as you might think. But he was a college guy, obviously being a first round pick. But and by the way, I was wrong about Wilson's ERA. It was it was actually in the mid threes. Wright was the one that was uh, in the fours last year in Gwinnett. Um, but regardless, I think Wright is just more talented. 
but at the same time, you know, those guys may not be far away. I don't know. Uh, I, I trust Wright more just on the surface. I'm hoping and rooting for him to make uh, a bit of a leap and be the guy that everyone thought he was going to be. You know, this is a guy who was a top five pick in the draft um, for a reason. He is really talented, but it wasn't great last year. Uh, neither one of these guys were great last year in the majors. Tomlin, you could argue, is safer. I don't even, I mean, I don't, I'm not even sure what that means. Uh, yeah. Tomlin, but Tomlin is, I think we're all rooting against Tomlin being the starter. Not that he can't help the team because he certainly can't, especially early on when you're talking about smaller roles. I think we're probably going to get two of these guys. You know, it's going to be Tomlin and Wright maybe for a get yeah. for a for a starter or two at the beginning. Um or, Ty, or Tomlin and Wilson, but ultimately I think everyone should be rooting for Kyle Wright to break out. That's kind of the that's the best path forward, the highest upside path forward in my opinion. So yeah. I don't know. Do you agree I with do. that? I mean, I, the way that Wright was throwing the ball in September last year, granted it was a small sample and out of the bullpen, but I mean, I remember having the conversation of should he get some playoff roster consideration because he was dominant. Now, again, you're not going to use four or five bullpen appearances in September and, and go on that. I'm not saying that by any means, but I think he clearly has the highest upside. You said a former number five overall pick and a big piece at Vanderbilt. Um, he has every bit of the potential to be a number two, number three starter in the big leagues for a long time. And Again, at 22-and-a-half, Bryce Wilson, it's it's not as if Wilson couldn't fill that role, but I think yeah. until he develops some, some more secondary stuff, um, I'm just not sure how consistently he's going to be able to get out hitters. But, again, I guess uh, you know on the, on the flip side of that, if he is only throwing 40 or 50 pitches and only seeing hitters once, maybe twice, maybe it will play to his skill set a little bit more. Yeah, and you've got Ian Anderson looming. Uh, I think uh, he – at least by what I read and hear, um, isn't likely to be in the rotation early on. But Ian Anderson is the youngest of the three and maybe has the highest upside of the three. Uh, a really, really fun pitcher that could be up at some point this year that would not surprise me all that much. But no one's talking about him as like a first week of the season option. Um, just wanted to point that out that uh, I'm not forgetting about Ian Anderson. He's just not a guy that you hear about. And it doesn't mean it's ruled out, but uh, there you go on that um and, tu- and Tuki might be able to contribute to at some point I mean we yeah he's, he's been a tease right like he's had those nights where the bullpen especially where I mean he's just mowing people down I mean it's fastball fastball big curveball and it, it's you know innings I over. Do, yeah um, I, I do think because but, because yeah. of COVID I think he's going to be in the bullpen um mm-hmm. when he when he arrives um hopefully you know as we're rooting for everybody to get healthy as fast as possible I think any chance of Tukey starting early on was basically dashed by that positive mm-hmm. test. And just because yeah. of the reality of, I'm not even sure how he's feeling at this point, but just the reality of not being able to do anything for two weeks and a guy who has, would have to ramp up to start. But I, I continue to be, in, I've always been pro Tukey. I'm not giving up. Um, obviously it's been a little bit bumpy at recent times, but even in the bullpen, he could make an interesting impact because of, like you said, his stuff is filthy when it's right. And uh, I don't think he's going to start early on because of the delay. But yeah, if you get into a bind later on in, in this short season, if you get an injury or two, he might be a guy you call on to go out and throw you three or four innings at, at the top of a game. Sure. And he's capable of that. He's really talented still. Yeah. And, and again, still just 24. I mean, it's weird because we've, we've heard of, of Tukey and, and Wilson and writing all these guys for so long. It seems like they're older than they are, but again, 24 and, and has all the potential to help. So hopefully he's able to get himself right, get himself back to hundred percent and, and because I think really there's been talk that, you know, Tucson's eventual role is going to be a late inning reliever. And we've seen with, with the importance of bullpens for teams right now, uh, just how 
you know, everybody who's made advances in the playoffs in recent years have had really good bullpens. Teams are spending on their bullpens. As long as you do it right, there's there's a lot of upside there, uh, especially in a shortened se- season in a playoff scenario. So hopefully Tukey's able to to give them something this year. Yep, I uh, I would agree with all of that. Um, yeah, I mean, other than that, I don't know. I could ask you like a big picture question about the rotation and like how you feel about the rotation at this point in time overall. Like it's really tough to answer without Hamill's information and without more clarity on how this is all going to work. But I thought this, you know, before anything else, before all the worst with a short season, I kind of thought the Braves had like an average to maybe slightly above average rotation. I still kind of feel that way, provided that we get what we think we're going to get from Mike Soroka and Max Freed. Um, Fulte, like we said, is a swing guy, but it's not a top five or six group in the league, but it's not a group that's a liability either, in my opinion. That's kind of my uh, very boring assessment. I think it's just kind of maybe average to slightly above average, and yeah. that's okay. It's not a huge strength, but it's not a huge weakness either. I'm with you, and I, I think you look at the other teams in the National League East, who they're going to play almost exclusively this year. And Of course, nobody's touching Washington with their big three, but um, yeah. you know the Mets are without, without Syndergaard. They lose Zach Wheeler, of course, to the Phillies. Um, you know, the Mets are, are rotation is not going to be anything unstoppable. They do have that Jacob deGrom guy who's pretty good. Yeah, he's pretty good. Um, and uh, and uh, uh, Stephen Matz and Marcus Stroman, who they acquired. And then, of course, the Phillies have Nola, who uh, had a pretty good year last year. And and, uh, and Wheeler, who I just mentioned, and a couple other guys, Jake Arrieta, or at least the ghost of Jake Arrieta is still throwing baseballs for them. I think, um, uh, by but, the way, I think I think by zips, I want to say I had uh, looked at this, uh, the Braves were third in the division in starting pitcher projected war, um, behind obviously the Nationals then the Mets, but yeah, ahead of the, but, right. but 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 ahead of the Phillies. That seems right to me. I, I still like mm-hmm. the Mets rotation better because Degrom is, with all respect to Mike Soroka, Degrom is a, a step above that right now until yeah, we see it again best, from he's the best pitcher in baseball. Yeah, yeah I mean that's not a shot. Yeah, Mike Soroka is awesome. But Degrom's <laughs> really good. Um, but yeah, I, I kind of like the Braves more than the Phillies, especially if Hamels gives them something. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, I, I just think it's kind of an average group, which isn't, again, not not a bad thing. I, and by the way, there's room above that, because if Soroka does what he did last year, sure, that is a huge thing for you. And then you know, you have guys that have upside with Freed and Fulte and even Newcomb. Like we've, as you mentioned before, we've seen Newcomb for a half of a season, which is what this is, be really good. Um, I'm not projecting that. I still don't love the idea of Sean Newcomb in the rotation, but given that he, you know, he has talent, it's not like he is a yep. bad fourth fifth starter uh, when compared to contemporaries around the league. So I feel fine yeah. about rotation. It's not a glowing, it's not a glowing endorsement, but it's also, uh, I'm not terrified either. Yeah, I'm with you. And it's, I mean, this whole year is going to be so weird yep. uh, with the shortened starts. And really, I mean, you say, well, only, you know, maybe the first two or three starts of the year, they'll, they'll have reduced pitch counts. Well, two or three starts is like thir- what thirty percent of the season um, for, for each pitcher. So um, yep. it is going to be a little, you know, unlike anything we've seen. But I'm with you. I, I don't think there's. I mean, no one's going to confuse this this rotation for the Nationals, but they also are are more than capable of leading this team to uh, a division title, a playoff contention, whatever you want to say. Um, there, I think there is some significant upside here, and, and again, the depth, which is going to be so important uh, for teams this year. And the, as a reminder, uh, the shortened season is what it is. But the this is according to Zips. But the the highest projected innings innings total for any pitcher in the major leagues this year is seventy nine, and that's yeah. Garrett Cole. 
So just, just as a reminder, the <laughs> yeah. highest projection for any starting pitcher this year is 79 innings. So yep. uh, it's going to be volatile. Let's just say that. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, let's take a quick break, Scott, and we'll come back and talk about some news and look ahead to the next 10 days or so. Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to the Future of Work, a Pod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the Pod wherever you get your podcasts. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. All right, Scott. Uh, I mentioned this before, but uh, we did get the news since our last podcast that the Braves now have two uh, formal exhibitions. They don't count, but uh, they'll be playing against another baseball team in the Miami Marlins on the 21st and the 22nd. Both of those are going to be broadcast as well on uh, Fox Sports Southeast, Braves Radio Network, etc. So we will get an opportunity to see the Braves kind of play baseball against a, another opponent before the opener. That's uh, That was news in the last couple of days. Um, other than that... The 2021 schedule is out, which is so weird right now because it's a full season projection. It's a long way away. The world is such a different place, we're hoping, at that point in time. But I know you wrote the post on this. It's mostly just for planning purposes only. Like A lot can change here, but there's some interesting stuff to note if you want to go ahead and plan trips that you're hoping are going to happen. Yeah, um, really weird. I mean, I guess you know to dig in, uh, the worst part of it is Opening day is uh, Thursday, April 1st against the Phillies in Philadelphia. And then they have the day off the next day, which I absolutely hate. I know it is the worst it. thing in the world. Oh, it is the awful. stupidest thing, bar none. You wait all winter. and I mean, at least in normal times, you wait all winter, all spring. You get to play a game, and then you're off. And it is the on, on what, maybe the 5%, 10% chance that opening day gets rained or snowed out. And guess what? If it does get rain or snowed out, the next day is probably going to be cold too. So, you know, it, it's not like you're going to go from having a foot of snow to 80 degrees the next day. So anyway, I, I absolutely hate that. At least make it like the Sunday after or the Monday after. Um, but alas, um, yes, that was my first when I saw that. I, I truly like <laughs> it's all. I, I, oh, it drives me nuts. But um, so yep, yeah, so they'll open up in Philly and then head to Washington D.C., which is another place where it might be a little. A uh, little chilly in early April, but um, yes, yeah, so that's how 2021 starts. Yeah, I mean, the, from there you have the home opener against Philly. Uh, they got to wait more than a week. I don't like that either. Um, obviously, somebody has to open on the road, so it's not like it's a, a they're picking on the Braves. But the, op- the home opener is more than a week uh, after the official opener, which is never fun. Um, both the Yankees and the Red Sox are coming to Truist Park for short series. So I, I know there are lots of those are very national fan bases and there'll be people excited to go see those teams. Um, I wanted to get into the end of the schedule more than anything. Huh. And that is uh, this is right. This is right up your alley as our West Coast correspondent. But the last 
five, yes, five road series of the season in 2021 are all against the NL West. So there's this Dodgers Rockies road trip in late August or September. And then there's a 10 game and 10 day stretch against the Giants, Diamondbacks and Padres on the road in September. So granted, this isn't that big of a deal for me as someone who never sleeps, but uh, this is brutal. <laughs> Especially if people are like, if the Rays are in a pennant race in 2021, which yeah. is again a long way away, um, fans are not going to be thrilled to have all of these games happening in September with like, you know, Rays stakes and a bunch of 10:35 starts. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I was going to say I think I'm one of the very few who uh, enjoys it. I will say, I guess the good news is the Braves aren't going to go to Denver, Colorado in April for like the fifth time in six years or whatever the heck it's that, been. That's, because, al- that's always a fun one. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, again, I know um, I think it was Jeff Francoeur who talked about it and, you know, players would much rather get those West coast trips out of the way early in the year because they're fresher. Um, again, this is all assuming that the schedule goes off without a hitch next year. <laughs> uh, who knows where the world will be in, in all caveats. Know, yeah. um, but again, nobody wants to travel all the way across the country um, you know, I think they have a stretch where they go from Atlanta to uh, Los Angeles to Denver, back to Atlanta for maybe six days, and then they come back out to San Francisco, Phoenix, and San Diego, all within maybe a three-week stretch, which is just brutal. Um, and as you said, if, if you're a fan on the East Coast, um, and I know most people don't enjoy the 1035 first pitches and, uh, you know, if it's a high-scoring game, uh, staying up till 2 a.m. to watch uh, the final pitch, and again, if it's in May, you might not care as much because you have another 115 games to watch. But right. uh, the Braves may be a game up in the division, and and that could be uh, higher stakes than usual. Well, I mean, on, on the bright side, I might be able to come to Chase Field to collect on, on the bet that I won from our last podcast. Yeah, uh, in, yeah, in September. Yeah. Uh, just wanted to make sure that we said that. I know I said it on the last podcast with Eric, but uh, because you're here now, I am. <laughs> I'll I was victorious. Buy you your hot dog. Yeah, I'll buy you your hot dog. I might, I might go ahead and, I might go ahead and book a flight. I mean, no, nothing's going to change between now and then. I mean, we could probably get a good deal. I yeah. Four, I mean, it's, we're 14 months away from that, from that series, but I might go ahead and uh, schedule yeah. that up and maybe, maybe buy the trip insurance on that one. But anyway, uh, yeah, before, in addition to all that weirdness at the end of the schedule, uh, the Braves do end the season with the last six games at home, which is probably a slight, slight, slight advantage. They play the Phillies and the Mets and the last six games at home. Uh, you'd rather be home than not, and you're playing against division opponents. Again, the world's going to change a lot, including baseball teams. We don't know who's going to be good in 2021 right now. But uh, that's a small, small thing to note in the positive column. Okay, without, I don't want to keep going on the next year's schedule. It's just, it just feels so, so far away. Um, there is a couple of news, quick items that I wanted to hit on that happened the last few days. Uh, for one, Adam Duvall said he's going, always planning to play. That's a that's important. We kind of assumed that because he hadn't said otherwise, but at the same time, uh, he was the one player that we were kind of openly talking about because he does have he does have diabetes. So that could change. There's nothing that says it couldn't change. But as of right now, Duvall is planning to play, and with Marcakis unavailable. Duvall takes on uh, presumably a bigger role, and I've always been uh, maybe not the president, but certainly a member of the Adam Duvall fan club. So this is nice. This is not this is nice news for me. Yeah, no, I'm with you. I mean, Duvall, I think, as you said, with without knowing exactly where Freddie's going to be, and no Marcakis, and Duvall has strengths, and and he's not a star by any means, but I think he's a very serviceable player on a on a good ball club. So I'm glad. Obviously, his health is the priority, and if he ever needs to feel the need to pull the plug i would absolutely not blame him in the least but if he is able to play this year it'd be pretty good yeah uh 
our our uh, our, our podcast and the website stance on anyone that wants to opt out is that we, we will not blame you. But uh, if, if Adam Duvall plays, the the team is better than if he doesn't. So there you go. Uh, Mark Bowman, good friend of the program, said that Austin Riley is the quote top option end quote at first base if Freddie Freeman is delayed early in the early going. That is not a surprise at all. We talked about this a lot on the uh, last couple of podcasts, but I wanted to make sure that that was noted because Bowman knows things. And we kind of thought that was going to happen, but just some just some confirmation there. And obviously we're all hoping Freddie can play, but it, it looks like it's going to be Riley if he can't. Well, and I think Riley showed last year, if, if he does have to fill in, just how good of an athlete he is. I think you look at him physically and you he doesn't exactly scream like freak athlete, but um, like his sprint speed is really good. And he obviously, I mean, it is really hard for somebody who has played third base for however many years, even his whole life, to then just on the fly move to left field and be starting in left field uh, like two weeks later in the major leagues. Um, so I, I think if anybody has the ability and and flexibility to do it. I think Riley's a, it makes sense for him to be the top option. Yeah. That's just one of those things that we were kind of assuming, but it was some further confirmation. Uh, the next one is kind of perilous. Bryce Ball, a fan favorite and the man with all kinds of power um, was added to the player pool, the 60 man player pool. Uh, and people got very excited about the prospect of Bryce Ball being like a DH this year. Uh, that's not going to happen. I don't think the smart folks that I know, tell me that there is virtually no chance of that actually happening. Um, but he's obviously a fan favorite, has the massive power, et cetera, et cetera, and uh, a good name to keep in mind. I think he is not quite Major League ready yet, but if you get a couple injuries and you need some power, Bryce Ball, I'm just saying, he's he's going to be there. People are talking about it. Batting fourth. Yeah. No, oh, dear, oh, God. oh, dear God. <laughs> well, Mark Kakis isn't there, so. He's um, not. He is not RIP. Um, but uh, Bryce Ball, I, I mean, again, it, it makes sense for why teams pushed for kind of these taxi squads so they can't have their prospects continue to work out at team facilities and all that. I, I think it can only help them with his development and somebody who uh, the very uh, smart guys we have on uh, on this podcast, Eric, and all the prospect guys are very high on. And uh, even if you know, probably not this year, maybe even not 2021, but a chance for uh, him to make an impact on the Braves moving forward. Uh, Bryce Ball, by the way, 22 years old, listed at, listed at 6'6", 235. I would take mm. the over probably on that, if I, if you made me guess. Um, but That's a big boy. The point that I wanted to make is that Bryce Ball has uh, 263 plate appearances total in in, uh, in professional baseball, and mm. exactly zero of them are above single A. So if you actually think Bryce Ball is going to be an option this year, I would. That's that's the number I would use to to throw you <laughs> off the scent a little bit. I know yeah. he's not. I think he's 20. Yeah, he's 22. So he's not like he's super young, but a guy, you don't usually see guys jump from 90 plate appearances as a single A to the majors. I know it's a weird pandemic filled season, but uh, it would take some, it would take some attrition, I think, to get Bryce Ball in there. Um, okay. The last thing is not uh, on field related, but the Braves wrote a letter to season ticket holders this week that included the phrase, quote, we will always be the Atlanta Braves, end quote. Um, that's in reference to, uh, some of the buzz that we talked about in the last show about name changes and the fact that the Washington professional football team is going to change its name and, uh, probably the Cleveland, Cleveland Indians as well. The Braves, the whole, and both publicly, public, publicly released statements so far have shied away from that. They're not, they're not going to change the name right now. I will say this. 
uh, it was pretty. That's pretty aggressive language to say we will always be. That's uh, probably more definitive than they uh, maybe should have been. I don't know. But as we discussed previously, uh, the topic, the, the tomahawk chop discussions are ongoing. The AJC is running like a multi-part series with some fan stuff, uh, with, with some fan opinions, and also some people from um, Native American communities. I recommend reading some of that stuff. It's this is a very nuanced thing, uh, and they're talking about the chop. As I said last podcast, and I want to know what you think about this, Scott. But um, you know. That's the thing. This year is kind of interesting because there's no reason to do the chopped the chop prompts in an empty stadium. So they don't have to act as decisively and as quickly as they might have had to in a world where there were fans. So they might have a, they might have a year of runway here, but at the same time, the the buzz is getting louder about the chop if nothing else. Yeah, it's it's obvious that it's going to be a, a point of contention and discussion for the foreseeable future, regardless of what they decide. Um, I will say, you know, a letter to season ticket holders, at least to me, doesn't hold a ton of weight because it does not. It's it's not a legally binding contract or anything, and and I would imagine, I mean, it it is kind of a weird, hard stance to take right now because you're for sure not having fans in the stadium this year, and well, and knows, it, but, yeah, it, it it made the it made the rounds too because I'm and and they have to I assume they have to know this, but as soon as they send something like that out, it got picked up and it was on the blogs. Like I think UniWatch talked about it. Like it became. Not immense national news, but combined with the comments that uh, Terry McGurk made this week, like this is it's now a national story. It's not like dominating the conversation. But when you say that, you got to know it's going to go public and not again. We don't expect the name to be changed because they've said now definitively twice that they're not going to change it. I just don't think that was probably the smartest idea in the world to come out and say this definitive statement when a lot can change. I don't know, in the next several decades, like we will (laughs) always be is kind of (laughs) slamming the door. But you're right. It doesn't actually matter in terms of uh, being enforceable. I just thought it was noteworthy because if nothing else, it got noticed by national outlets and national writers and that's kind of where i saw because i'm not a season ticket holder i didn't get i didn't get this letter but um because it got picked up and made the rounds i saw it and i'm sure other people saw it too well and as you said i mean there's this is happening with other team you know the indians and the redskins and um you know there's also not a ton happening in the sports world right now so i think if if we had normal games going on and this was a thing it may not get picked up quite as much as as the current news cycle because there's really just not a whole bunch going on so Again, I it kind of raised my eyebrows when I saw that come through. But yeah, I think last time you and I talked, it's it's something that's going to be uh, present. Who knows what they're eventually going to land on? But um, either way, it's it's a sticky situation and one that I <laughs> I'm personally thankful I don't have too much say in um, because it's it's just a, a sticky area to navigate. For sure. Uh, and on the COVID-19 front, this is non-Braves related, but it's Major League Baseball related. And uh, this is, for me anyway, jumped out as a massive example of what could go wrong in the near, in the near future. Uh, Royals catcher, Kansas City Royals catcher, Ken Gallagher, played in an inter-squad scrimmage on Friday night. Now, that might be innocuous uh, on the surface because he's not a famous player. But uh, he took the, he played in that scrimmage after taking a test. Then he got the results of the test on Saturday... So he played before getting the results of the test. And on Saturday, the test revealed that he was positive for COVID-19. Uh, he's asymptomatic, but and I hope he continues to feel good and won't be sick. But this is an example of how perilous this can be because, again, this is a player that was allowed to participate in a scrimmage between having a test and the results coming back from the test. Um, everyone was surprised, apparently, in the Royals organization, including him, about the 
about the test being positive. There is a possibility of a false positive, et cetera, et cetera. But this is a red flag for me because, you know, what happens in the world if there's a testing lag on a game day? Like, are they going to postpone yeah. a game? Are they going to make players sit out before the testing results come back? This is, these are all questions that people have been asking. But with the testing lag, this was sort of the first... Um, definitive result that was like, whoa, I got a player was allowed to play in between taking a test and getting the results. And he was positive. And that's, that's not good. No, it's not. And I, I mean, I think we've talked for weeks that it's inevitable that you're going to have positive tests and there are going to be scares and teams have shut down workouts and scrimmages because of, of the lag in testing, which sounds like a very real problem. And I hope baseball is working and doing everything they possibly can to speed these things up. Um, I know there was a report, I think, uh, from Ken Rosenthal maybe an hour ago that some teams, including the Diamondbacks, are now uh, running their tests through different labs than the ones that baseball has set up because Ooh. of backlog. Um, I, the whole thing is is sounds like it's just chaos, honestly. Um, as you said, there's some very real concerns with somebody testing positive, assuming it's not a false positive, and we've seen this weird situation with like Joey Gallo of course with the Rangers where he tested positive then he was negative then he was positive then he was negative um it's inevitable that they're going to deal with this but as you said if you do have a lag in testing or you have a a questionable test result what do you do you have all these guys at the stadium um do you cancel the game do you hold one person out um do you push the game back a couple of hours in order to try to accommodate I don't know what the answer is but Nonetheless, it is a it's a bad situation, and um, hopefully, as we are less than you know, as you said, eleven twelve days away from opening day, uh, hopefully they're able to iron out some of these kinks because it's something that needs to be addressed. Right, and and whether the t- whether the test was positive or not, um, obviously matters. But for me, the almost the bigger flag is that a guy played on a field with other players before getting his test results back. That isn't yeah. what you want. Um, and again, like it could, it's just the protocol. There's lots of protocol issues. Um, this is not a baseball wide podcast. Usually we talk about the Braves more than anything else. So I'm not going to go down the rabbit hole too, too far here, but it's going to impact the Braves. And, you know, the testing protocol is just not going very well. Like some of the, I mean, the numbers are pretty good across baseball. If you believe all of the publicly released data from Baseball and Player Association, that is a good thing that the number and the number of positive tests is fairly low. But the protocols have been kind of a mess. Um, the, the point you just made about you know teams using other facilities, that none of this stuff is standardized and it's not going all that well. And once games start, there's just not a lot of margin for error. Like you can't really... Right now, if a team has to, has to skip a practice or skip a workout, it's not a big deal. But once games start, that impacts the entire schedule. Yep. What is the protocol going to be there? There's just a lot of gray area. And at some point, it's going to affect every team if they don't figure out better protocols and then you get into the issue of are these teams taking away tests from the public and that's a whole other rabbit hole but (laughs) it's just uh i'm not trying to pile on i'm trying to be we're not trying to be negative and i'm I'm trying purposely not to talk a ton about this stuff Uh, and we said it for the end for that reason but it's just it's just a reminder of how perilous this whole thing is It, it might you know it might not go well when this all gets going and uh we're rooting for it to work I'll say that again, I'm rooting for it to work. I'm rooting for baseball to happen. But uh, this was a, a, a giant flashing red light. Uh, and it's only one example, but there will probably be more, probably be more examples in the near future. And that's the scary part. Absolutely. And I mean, you know, again, it, it's 
Royals catcher Cam Gallagher. I'll be honest. If if Cam was my next door neighbor, I'm not sure I would. Uh, yeah, him, right? not not a big name, which by the way is probably but, good for baseball because nobody's right. going to talk about this. But <laughs> yeah, right. But if it's uh, you know if games start and it's the middle of September and the Braves and Nationals are tied for first and there's a problem with Ronald Acuna's test, well, what are you going to you know you, you pull in Ronnie from your your lineup for two get two days because the lab hasn't gotten back to you? I, I don't know. I mean. Yep. In in theory, you should just to be careful, but at the same time, uh, you, you can see why teams would absolutely throw a fit. You know, Max Scherzer is supposed to pitch that night. There's a delay with his test. Well, all of a sudden, Scherzer's not going to pitch seven innings against the Braves. I, I don't know how that would go. So it's it's uh, uh, <laughs> yeah, it's a lot. There are baseball related concerns like the one you're talking about. Then there are just health protocol concerns and they all come together uh yeah. in a certain way so yeah i know ken ken gallagher is not a big name and that's one of the reasons why this could have this could and probably did slip by people but just replace cam gallagher with a much bigger name and the problem sure. would still be the same it's not like this is not a ken gallagher problem it's a protocol problem so i don't know we'll see what happens i just want to make sure we pointed that out because that that scared me to death if you're uh, talking about uh how this is all going to work okay well, Scott, we've talked enough, I think. Unless you have any final thoughts, please tell people where they can find your work, as always. And uh, again, we're getting closer, so I'm starting to feel like baseball. Getting closer? Yeah, it's exciting. I mean, oh, again, yeah, fingers crossed, less than two weeks for this, and then uh, other sports on the horizon, hopefully, fingers crossed. Uh, but continue to check out the site. Uh, big shout-out to Chris Willis, who runs Talking Chop. He's done an awesome job keeping, yep. uh, not just now that we're getting closer to baseball, but really – uh, throughout the entire, I don't even know what to call it, off-season, extended off-season. Um, it's, it's not easy to find stuff to write about when uh, there's, there's no sports happening. But uh, shout-out to Chris and everybody at the staff. Um, and, uh, yeah, well, hopefully another couple weeks we're talking about real-life baseball. That would be nice. And, yeah, I definitely echo the shout-out to Chris. As someone who runs a website about another Atlanta sports team, it's very hard to run a website about one team when that team is not playing the sports uh the hawks are still not playing and won't be playing for months and it's not a lot of fun um so yeah i uh, i i personally um identify even more with what chris has been having to deal with and it's it's tough so shouts to him shouts to all of our uh, writers i am not doing much it's except for hosting this podcast so i'm part of the problem but alas hopefully everybody will be joining us please subscribe to the show that is huge for us by the way if you are listening um, regularly and not subscribe we can I, I would ask you to fix that go ahead and click the button I really appreciate that leave five leave five star feedback follow Scott follow me follow Eric follow everyone on the site and with nothing else we'll be back in the uh, near future because the season is coming so stay tuned for everything that will be happening on this podcast
Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to the Future of Work, a Pod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the Pod wherever you get your podcasts.